church of Jesus right now, would you take, God, what you're doing in my life, God, showing us in the scriptures your heart, and I just pray, Lord, that you would give us revelation of your perfect heart tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So in like working to work myself up to be a new father, um, you know, like pastoring this group and trying to be involved, I'm involved in studies and, and things, and so you know, like, I get a, to think a lot about how can I be, like, a really good father. And I, I spent the past, you know, nine months thinking about, man, I'm going to do fatherhood really well. And I'm going to study on it, and I'm going to do all these things. And I'm going to, like, really, like, nail this fatherhood thing. It was totally my expectation coming in. And, uh, and so I would read 1 Corinthians 13. And, and I, I think in, in ministry I promised myself I wouldn't ever, like, really uh, talk on this verse because it's so overdone. Like, who wants to hear about the same verse over and over again that you hear at weddings? Um, but let me just, just read this to you guys. If you have it, um, just follow along with me. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. And so I would spend time, like I'd memorize that verse, and I was getting ready for fatherhood. And we had a great pregnancy. We had awesome nine months. We had an amazing delivery. Labor was great, and out comes this little child. And so we're thinking like, man, everything is just dialed. Like, fatherhood is going to be a total breeze. And then I kid you not, in the first 24 hours, I blew this verse. Like, I totally messed it all up. I was like, I'm going to will myself. Like, 1 Corinthians 13 is going to be like my life verse for fatherhood. And I totally jacked it up. In like 24 hours. I couldn't last even like a week. It was a bummer. Are you guys with me here? Like, this child comes into the world. You're like thinking this is awesome. And all of a sudden, I get smacked on how amazing God's love for us is and how inadequate I am to love this child as Christ loves us. And it was because that when, we, when the baby came out, she had a little angle to her, and so it caused, in, in the first probably week, she didn't sleep more than about 20 minutes a day. And she would cry and cry and cry, and so we were exhausted, we were sleepless, and we were just trying to survive. We are like, God, give us sleep, please. And it's amazing when you have like sleep deprivation and you're totally exhausted, all your hormones, all your adrenaline goes down. And, and you have a challenge, you have a refining process. And I look at this verse and I say, love is patient. I was not patient. Are you kidding me? I was like, please, someone rescue us. I just want a little bit of sleep. We had a nurse come in and give pity on us at 4 a.m. after we'd been up for like 48 hours. Love is kind. Oh, man. Our, our first morning? Yeah, oh. There we go. <laughs> After our, um, our first morning, and I don't know why the hospital does this. This is the silliest thing I've ever heard of, is this nurse comes in with this clipboard. We've been up for 48 hours. We just got one hour of sleep. We are so exhausted trying to have the baby go to sleep, trying to feed all those things. And she wants to talk to us about birth control. What? Like, I wake up and I'm like, Lady, I'm about to castrate myself. Like, I don't want to talk about birth control. Like, I might not ever have another child again, you know? Like, I wasn't kind. I was, like, so just exhausted and just, like, we were both, oh, Jesus, help. Like, help, please. 
It does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude. My poor family, we were in the hospital for four days. <laughs> and my family's like trying to get me food and things. And so they call like in their great consideration. They want to like know what drink do I want with like spaghetti? Do I want meat with spaghetti or do I want just the meat sauce or meatballs? And I'm just like, you make up your mind, please, you know. Like just come. And so I wasn't, I, was, I wasn't like adhering to this. I was totally, I was just, I was so blowing this verse. And in my total weakness, I just realized, God, you are so wonderful. This is who you are. This is your standard. And I've totally blown it. It was a huge blow to my ego because I, I would spend the nights like trying to rock the baby to sleep at three in the morning, like circling our island table. I'm like, love is patient. Love is kind. It's the only way I can stay sane. And for four weeks, our babies had sleep issues. And we've had, we have a healthy baby. We have an amazing baby but it has been the most trying four weeks of our life, for sure. And we love her to death. She's the greatest gift, but it has been the most refining process. And I'm here to tell you that God's love, the Father's love for us is perfect. You and I, we're going to blow it. As much as I tried to will myself, as much as I tried to have my heart be in alignment and force myself to love and to be perfect at it, we have to come to the conclusion that we will always be imperfect reflections of the perfect Father. We will always have an insufficiency to love perfectly. Though we're going to try, we need to know that there's only one perfect source of love. And it's crazy because in the humbling moment, I realize that in my flesh, I am incapable of loving perfectly. I'm going to try. I'm going to do better. And there's moments where I'm doing great, and then there's other moments where I'm not doing great. It doesn't mean I don't love my daughter, but, it, but how Christ has demonstrated for us his love it's such a, a, a huge chasm for me. And part of it for me tonight is just say, like, there needs to be, like, a 12-step program for, like, fathers in love. Like, hi, I'm Eric, and I, you know, I'm imperfect at this whole deal. You know, like, admitting that you have a problem, it'd be so therapeutic for me. And so this is what I'm here to tell you about. Let's continue the verse. Verse uh, 13, chapter 13, verse 8. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Here's the key. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When the perfect comes, the imperfect will disappear. Now, I think this is amazing that we're talking about this in in love. Because I'm looking at this this challenging time where I'm getting this, this mirror to my face that... I am imperfect in my attempts, my human flesh attempts. And the entire time, God is revealing that he is perfect. And I believe that God loves us so much that in our imperfection, he reveals his perfection. Are you with me? That in our struggles, in our sin, in our doubt, in our lack of faith, it is in those moments where God makes his perfection the clearest to us. And when I was challenged in all these these past weeks, what came over and over again to me was like, The Father's love is perfect for you. The Father's love is perfect for you. And it gave me such a gap to know that that human love is such a drop in the bucket to the Father's love. And I was so overcome with the gravity of the Father's love and that it is perfect in my perfection, in, in my imperfection. And it's been weighing on me. But what it has done for me and what I want to share tonight and I'm going to share about next week is that it's given me a total new understanding for God's perfect love for us. 
Now, now when I say the Father's love, it's kind of a charged word. Maybe when I say Father's love, maybe that is the most painful set of words that you can ever hear in your life. Maybe you're like, Father's love? uh, Tell me about somebody else's love. The Father's love is the last love I want to hear about because my father blew. Like, he sucked at love. Like, the, the word father and love, they don't mean a whole lot to me because my father didn't do much with that. In fact, maybe the father was the most damaging person to love that you have ever known. And so when we, we look at the father's love, the, the heavenly father, sometimes we project what we've experienced on this earth to him. Are you with me? And so when we, we look at that, we need to know that, that we have a, an earthly experience that it is just rifled with imperfect love. But that, I'm here to tell you, we should look at that and we should have a deeper understanding that all of that stuff is not representative of the Father's love. We can no longer live and be okay with projecting our earthly love experiences on the Father's love. Because they're two completely different things. It is painfully obvious to me now. And here's why this is so scary for me. Is that I realize that I, I have the power to completely destroy the concept of love for my daughter. I have the total power in my life to completely mess my daughter's life up for how she views and interprets love. Are you with me? My actions, my words, how I try and work out love, it has the, the weights of the heavens and earth for her. And, I, and God has stewarded me. He's given me a life. He's given me a heart. And he's given me a responsibility to not screw this up as much as I can, but I know that there's going to be challenges in times. But we have to know that, that we live amongst each other, giving each other authority and giving each other access to shape what we feel love is. And it's our responsibility as believers to recognize that there is, there's perfection and then there's imperfection. The Bible tells us that the father pays a penalty for his own sin. It says that the father, he'll pay the penalty, he'll pay the consequence for his own sin in terms of the judgment against him. But that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for us. Just because the the father pays for his own sins doesn't mean that you and I have to bear with the, the, the implications of his actions. One of the challenges that we had... Um, and sleeping is that we have this doorbell, and we got like all the door-to-door salespeople on Earth visited our house like in the past two weeks, and so we have our dog inside because we're trying to like you know get the dog to like acclimate to the new baby, and so we like get the baby to sleep just barely, like she's just now going into like a sleep. She stopped crying. She's like sleeping around. We're like yes, you know the dog's like passed out. All is right. It's like quiet. And then the doorbell rings, the dog barks, the baby screams, and I'm like ready to go like, just strangle somebody. Like, who is it? And it's like this little girl, do you want to buy your poinsettia? You know, and I like felt all like guilty. You know, I like I've been charging after it. And so I, I, I threw a little post-it note on our, our doorbell, and it was in like a moment of like rage, because it's happened like three times. Love is patient, love is kind, right? I mean... Not so much. So I want everyone to be crystal clear on what would happen if you touched that doorbell. It was amazing. And a, Josh Galbraith, he posted a great comment on, on the Facebook wall. He's like, you probably want your daughter to know you and not just visit you, you know? 
But it's so true, though, because if I would come out here and I would come guns a-blazing and just totally, like, destroy, you know, like, my life by some stupid action, then my daughter's going to pay the consequences for that. So we know that, that how, however jacked up our relationships have been, however jacked up maybe our fathers or mothers or, or families or whoever it is have been, they, they pay the consequence for their own sin. But we have to live with their consequences as well. Are you with me? And so their, their consequences are our consequences. Now let's read 1 Corinthians 13. Let's continue on. I'm going to jump down to, to verse 12. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. This is so powerful. It gives the perfect illustration. Perfect illustration of, of love and God. And God is love. And then it gives us that love never fails. It, all the things that don't sound like love at all for us. And then it says, but we see a poor reflection as a mirror. Now you and I, we, we shape what we experience as love. Our fathers help shape that. Are you with me? And it's great because in here it says, now we see but a poor reflection why? Why is it a poor reflection? Is because that reflection is our best attempts to emulate what we think is love, but it's not the standard. When, they, when the perfect comes, the imperfect must leave. So when Christ comes, the perfect, the imperfect that we experience must leave out of our life. We need to be able to filter it and receive the perfect and put out the imperfect. And it's interesting that the mirror is here. Because isn't, isn't that, that that this right here, if, if this is Christ, this is what is perfect. The perfect love. And then you and I live life. And, and whatever cards we deal, maybe it was our father. And so we're growing, we have innocence, right? But there's at some point, maybe, we're all of a sudden a father. <laughs> did that. And now you live in life. Looking at this. We see out of a poor reflection. It's kind of dramatic, huh? <laughs> I didn't intend it to be that dramatic, but I'm glad you're all paying attention. But isn't this right? It, isn't what God intended is perfect, is holy, is righteous. And now we look, and so we're, we're seen out of a poor reflection. This thing called love. This thing that God is love. And, and we look at this and we say, this is you, God? You tell me that this is you? I don't think so. I don't know what I can do about that. Because someone came, and maybe it was a, you know, a boyfriend or whatever. Like, I would hit this tons of times, but it scares all of you. But like, <laughs> you know, a boyfriend, it could be a girlfriend, it could be an uncle, it could be, an aunt, it, it could be whoever. I mean, we, you look at life. And isn't life a gigantic hammer on this thing we think is love? Isn't the battle right now for us, and I feel so thankful for my mother and father. I, I'm so thankful that, that my concept of love was upheld. But it's such a rare thing, I feel so spoiled about it. But, but aren't, aren't we looking at trying to fix this thing called love? We're like, this doesn't feel like love. And I think it's important for us to now look at at what God's perfect design is and to know that all of us, I don't care who you are, even myself, 
we all are transitioning from a broken part to the whole part. We're trying to find, God, what does the whole mirror look like again? And it's the consequences that you might be living life, living love through this broken prism. And it is the responsibility of every believer. Every believer in here needs to come to the knowledge that God's love is perfect. God's love is not that. We need to be able to distinguish who threw the hammer. And we need to have the the idea and the knowledge and the wisdom to apply what the perfect looks like in us. Are you with me? If God is perfect, if he's the, the complete mirror, and God is love, doesn't it make sense that the enemy is trying his hardest to destroy this thing called love in your life? Because if the enemy can destroy love, he can destroy God for you. Because God is love. Are you with me? That if the enemy can destroy, can distort, can manipulate, if, if, if the enemy can use that and completely make love this wretched thing that you don't want to have anything to do with, how on earth do we expect to read that God is love and be able to say, oh, that's awesome. I want to know that God. I don't think so. But God is love. It's his identity. It's his nature. And Satan's goal is to let all the hammers in your life completely ruin what is perfect. 1 John 4, if you're there. 1 John 4, 16. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. There's three really important things out of this verse. If you have a pen, everybody should highlight this or underline it or draw a circle around this. Because it's so crucial that we have come to know. There's a responsibility on each one of us to know what God's love that he has for us. Not, not a relationship, not a mother and father. All that stuff is fine. But it's our responsibility as believers to know and to believe the love which God has for us. It didn't say that you should, you should come to know what love kind of feels like with everybody around you. No, the responsibility for you and I, there's a responsibility as every believer who has Christ in their heart to come to know and believe the love which God has for you. Because that needs to supersede this. The love which God has for you has to supersede this, and, and you cannot let this judge and guard your life because this is imperfect, this is broken, this is jacked up. It says, for God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And by this, love is perfected. I know it doesn't say that in there, but the next verse is 17. It says, love is perfected with us. This concept that, that God is love and that we are in the imperfect, we see through a broken mirror. But this whole concept that love is perfected in us, What does that even mean? And it means that we have to take a look at this and say, God, we believe there's a plan for you to to fix this. We believe that there's a way in which you make this right. How do we do that? We make it right by knowing and believing the love that God has for us. Knowing, believing the love that God has for us. And I'm going to suggest that there are three 
areas, three battlegrounds that are waging war in your life for whether you have the perfect love or the imperfect love. There's only three that really matter to me. And they're, they're cyclical. They will, they will guard everything. And if, if love is corrupted in these three areas, then you will live a miserable existence, I promise you. And the enemy is one because, remember, the goal is to destroy this concept, this identity, this, this idea of love in your life. That is the goal. Because if the enemy can destroy love, he destroys God. The first one is God's word and his voice. God's word and God's voice. When you read the Bible, what do you hear? Are, are you reading the Bible through this? A God that is, is angry, is impatient, is unkind. Are, are you reading the Bible through a voice of a God that's annoyed with you? A God that really doesn't want you around. Maybe, you know, you were adopted. Maybe you, you, you had a, a father that left you. It doesn't matter. Do you read the scriptures seeing a father who left you that's kind of annoyed that he has an obligation to write a check for you? That's not love. I challenge you, understand what is the love of the father in his voice for you? Is it one of undying perfection? Is it the patient, the kind, all the the things that are in 1 Corinthians 13? Is that the voice that you hear? And if not, you need to come to realize that you are projecting an, an imperfect mirror upon the Father. That you are operating out of a broken paradigm. And God is clear for us to distinguish the two. This is other people's fault. But it's not God. What does God's voice sound like in your, vo- in your ear, in your heart? I work in IT stuff and I get to work with computers all the time and my wife's computer about a month ago contracted a virus and it totally corrupted the thing. It was awful. I hate that stuff. It's like, who spends their time building things that destroy stuff? It's like, really? Couldn't you play a video game or something? But it's interesting because the computer still, like, works. Like, it, it still kind of, like, turns on. It just doesn't do what you want it to. It starts acting funny. It starts launching pop-ups. It starts, you know, freezing and asking you, do you want to clean your viruses? You know, and it's like, and more spam and more, you know, viruses. You guys know what I'm talking about. So we can have something that's been totally corrupted and hijacked. And you can listen to this. If the enemy has destroyed love, and this is what the enemy has made love for you and God's voice to you, you've got to believe it's going to sound like the enemy. If you read the word and you're, you're feeling condemnation, you don't have the right voice of the Lord in you. If you're reading the word and you're feeling all sorts of judgment, if you're feeling that he's annoyed and he's, he's completely disengaged with your life, you are looking at it through the wrong prism. Are you with me? I went to South Africa last year, and when my wife and I leave each other, uh, we'll like give each other notes, and we'll kind of like hide them. It's like the competition, like where can you find like the last note that I, you know, you didn't know it was hidden. You know, you, you pull out your toothbrush, and it, like in there, it's in, like a little like travel case or something, you know. And so you have like these these love notes, but you know what the amazing thing about love notes, uh, the, the most powerful thing about a love note is, is to know the heart that wrote it. You pick up a love note on the road, like, that's stupid, you know, and like, you just, whatever. But you know the heart that wrote it for you, and it totally just ruins you. It wrecks you in the best way, where it causes you to want to read over and over and over again. And you want to see, like, the words, and you, you hang on it. Knowing the heart of the love letter is what gives it power. Knowing the heart of the love letter is what gives it power. And the Bible It's a love letter to us. 
It's a love letter from a perfect God to us. And if we don't have the ability to interpret, to know that heart, to know it's perfect, to know it's patient, to know it's kind, that it doesn't envy, does not boast, is not proud, to know that gives the scripture all the power that we need. You must be committed to believe in the Bible. And I'll tell you that if you have an imperfect paradigm for love, then you have an imperfect voice that is speaking to you. And if you have a corrupt voice, if, if, if that voice that is speaking to you is corrupt, then you also have a corrupt identity. Because isn't the Bible and God's voice where we get our identity? And so if, if God's voice, God's word, what he speaks to us is corrupt, and that is what we're taking, then surely our identity is messed up too. And that's the second battleground, is your identity Scarlet's identity, and the years before she gets to know Jesus as her Lord and Savior, we hope and pray, she will be a reflection of my love for her. She will be a reflection of how I care and steward and love her. It's just going to be a mirror right there. And I pray to God I don't do something stupid. We've been entrusted as mothers and fathers. I know there's not a whole lot of mothers and fathers. But we've been entrusted with stewarding the identity of our children. And even as we live with each other, too, like we're help shaping each other's identity by how we we try and and shape and, and give love perspective. And at some point in time, she must release the identity that I'm giving her that is being created through my love for her, and she must adopt her father's identity. And I pray that will happen, and I, I, I can't wait for that to happen, but I, I have to know that I play a role that can either expedite it or I can totally mess that up. And when she gets to hear about her Heavenly Father, what will she say? Will she say, yeah, because my dad loves me so much. He is so patient, so kind with me. He would never leave me. And I know there's a, an eternal Father that feels that way for me. I know how that feels. That's what I want her to say and respond with when she gets to know about Jesus. And I don't know what your story is. And maybe when someone told you about that there's a a God who loves you, you're like, yeah, right. And even maybe you got saved. Maybe you went through it all like, yeah, Jesus changed me. But you still retained that imperfect love, that imperfect voice. And you hear him affirming the imperfect. And now his voice is jacked up and your identity is jacked up. And when you sin... If you feel condemnation, if you feel guilt, you feel shame, you do not have the perfect voice speaking to you. You do not have the perfected identity in you. God promises us that that as we come and abide in him, that he perfects us in love. So we're in this transition of kind of sucking less, if you will. I love that phrase. But we we go through there and we, we try and experience God a little bit more and he promises to perfect us. And so when you sin, just as when I'm blowing it with being impatient and I'm unkind and all those things, God will always use your sin and use your shortcomings to reveal his perfection. It has to be that way. Because that is who he is. God, think about it this way. God will never partner with the enemy in making you feel shameful. It is not in his character. It is eternally impossible 
for God to partner with the enemy in anything. And so if you feel guilt and shame, you feel all of these different things, then it is not God. It is the manipulation of love that is the voice of the enemy trying to come after you. Yeah. <laughs> so good to kill the lights out. Are you with me? But isn't that right? Because who God says we are, isn't that what's supposed to give us identity? Who he says we are is all that matters. And when we have identity, it's what gives us worth. I don't know about you, like, how did you grow up? Did you feel like you were valuable? Or did you feel like crumb? And I think it it depends on what were the things that were spoken into. Did did your family, did your father, did your friends, did, did you have people giving you life and breathing life into you with words, or were they cutting you down? And if you don't feel like you're full of life, then I challenge you, there's something imperfect in the supply chain. Either God's voice or your identity. There's there's something broken in between there. Because as we hear the perfect voice, we hear how much he loves us. And it builds our identity. And our identity gets worth. It builds worth. It becomes significant for us. And when you have worth, you have purpose. And that's the third battleground. Your purpose. Do you feel like you know why you exist? Why did God spend all of the the energies of eternity in creating you? And every single Christian should know that their single and one and only purpose is to know the Father. That's the only thing that matters. You exist on this earth to know the Father. Do you see how this can get jacked up if we have a jacked up version of love? Like, that doesn't sound good to me at all. But that's true. You were created for intimacy with the king who loves you, who speaks loving kindness to you, who builds your identity, who makes you feel valuable and gives you purpose. You were made to know him and to be known by him. And you can see how this all connects. If the word and the voice is corrupt, your identity is corrupt. And your purpose is corrupt. You begin to think that I live on here to make money. I live on earth to to get with girls or have guys or get stuff. The only reason that God created you was so that you could have a relationship with him and have a relationship that doesn't look like that. And there's no purpose in knowing a God who is angry, who's impatient, who's unkind. There's no purpose in that, right? Who'd want to do that? And if your purpose is corrupt, you got to trace it back. Where, where's the link? If you don't feel like I live, I exist to know him, then something has corrupted you. I just want to finish kind of with this. Is that the perfect love gives rise to hunger for more perfect love. Are you with me? That perfect love It gives you a hunger for more perfect love. It's like a a good steak. Anybody go to Ruth's Crest before? Yeah, a couple of you guys. If you have a steak there, there is no better steak anymore. And you're like, it's two in the morning. You're like, I can really go with the steak. You know, like, there is no end to how you could have hunger for, for the best steak. And so as we encounter the perfect love, it will always give you more desire for more of the perfect. And the reason that we don't have an increasing hunger in our life is because there's imperfection in it. 
Because as we read God's word, it should be affirming our identity. It should be affirming our purpose. And it should get us more hungry to hear, yes, Jesus, that sounds good. That feels good. That gives me value. That gives me purpose. I want more of that. And so the perfect will always increase your hunger, always increase your capacity for more of the perfect. And here's the catch. I want to invite the band up. The perfect, it cannot have its effect as long as you hold on to the sins of the Father. The perfect, the perfect love, cannot have its effect as long as you are holding on to the imperfect of this world. Are you guys with me? There has to be a point where we need to know that this isn't God. And we have to let go of this. But the hard thing for us is that we find this valuable to us. We, we find that there, there's, there's a chip on our shoulder that we get a, to penalize somebody else because we got penalized. And imperfect love is such an attractive thing because it feels like we have a, a, a response to it. We get to pay somebody else back. We get to give a, a chip on our shoulder about this thing called love or this thing called God. And as long as you hold on to that, you will always fight God saying that that's not me. Let me show you what the perfect mirror looks like. We need to know that there is so much more to gain by releasing the imperfect love. We think that holding on to that bitterness, and that's what it is, we think that holding on bitterness gives us a, a, a foothold, a weapon, that it gives us a, a, an action later. And where, where on earth do we get this idea that, that forgiveness requires two people? Forgiveness starts and ends with you. You don't need somebody to come back to you. You don't need your father to come back to you and get on his knees and ask you forgiveness for how he totally messed up your life. Forgiveness starts and ends with you. You forgive him in your heart, and God will take care of the rest. And you can't hold on to that. You can't wait for that day, because that day will never come, and it will never feel as good as you think it will feel. Are you guys with me? There's no gain in holding on to the imperfect. But when we hold on to that, we're waiting for our chance, we're waiting for our angle, our motive. As we're totally giving safe house, we're giving safe haven to the enemy. And it's a sad, sad thing. And that's why you can't hear God's voice. And that's why your identity is so crummy. And that's why you feel you have no idea what you're doing on earth. Is there bitterness in your life? Are you holding on to somebody who jacked up love in your life? God is calling you to be a Christian who forgives and has it start and end with you. Because he's saying, you're penalizing me. With you holding on to that, you're, 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 you're putting this on me, and I'm tired of it. That's not me. You ever have a reputation that you can't live down? Like somebody, somebody thinks you did something, you weren't even like in the same state, and you're like, that wasn't me. You're like, have you ever like felt like so wronged? How must it feel if you're the creator of the universe? You, you have love perfect. There is nothing imperfect about you. And he made you with every single thought and purpose in his mind and used the, the weight of all of eternity to create you so that he would have a relationship with you because that's your purpose. And then to feel that his creation, that you don't want to have anything to do with him. How would my heart break if I come to a knowledge that my daughter doesn't ever want to know me? She's like, Pass. Can you feel that with me? Can you feel that if you had a son or daughter 
and, and your, your mind and your heart has been attached to them, and you cannot wait for them to, to recognize you. And it's, it's crazy, because then you're like, she's smiling, is, that, is she seeing me, or is that gas? I don't know, but I'm excited anyways, you know? And like, you long for when they're like, it's not gas anymore, she's smiling at us, it's great. Can you imagine the heartbreak for her to say, I don't want to know you. I don't care to. It's not worth my time. I don't think it's legit anyways. And that is what Jesus and God the Father must feel billions of times over when we look and we say, just because life gave us a hard deck of cards with love, that we get to say, God, not so much. We say, I, I can't forgive the person who did that to me. And we use those words. We say, I can't, I can't go be with that person. I can't be around this person. I can't think. I can never forgive them for what they did to me. And when we say those things, when we come in agreement with that, we put up this iron curtain between the real love of the Father and us. And until we're able just to turn our eyes off the broken mirror and fix our eyes and our heart on Jesus and on the, the Father's perfect love, until we can do that, we're never going to ever experience the perfect love of the Father. Ever. And so as we worship here tonight, I think there's some housekeeping to do in our hearts, isn't there? I think that it's, it's time for you to, to release that I'm not going to get that person who comes crawling back on my knees, on their knees, and begs me to forgive them. I think it's time that we, we release that moment, that feeling we're holding out for, that will make it all justified, that will make it all worth it for holding on to these memories. That makes I will not forget what happened to me, because one day I will get to put my finger in their face, and I'll get to tell them the pain they had. And I'm telling you that this, that day must end tonight, if that is you. If that is a place in your heart, if you're stockpiling something for later, it must come to an end. You're only robbing yourself and only portraying this onto the Father. God's calling us to be those who forgive the imperfect love around us. And even the best intentioned people like me, like my intention is to be awesome at love, is to be the best father in the world. It's like my mission statement. And I'm going to go back and forth on moments where I'm impatient and I'm going to be rude. I'm going to be all those things. But I'm going to try and clean up my tracks. I'm going to try and do better. But I refuse to let my daughter have the wrong idea of a father's heart. She will know what a father's heart is. And when she encounters Jesus, she'll know. Let's all stand.